right, friends, well, welcome. So good to see you here. Would you grab a Bible, open it with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 is where we're going to be spending some time together as we've been going through this series over the summer that we titled Rhythms, where we're looking at what are these habits or patterns of movement that should be present in our lives as believers, maybe spiritual disciplines is the language that you've heard before, in order to grow and to be connected to Christ and remain in Him and stay healthy and fruitful as His people. What are those rhythms that we should be doing? So we've been taking a different rhythm and looking at it each week from Scripture. We looked at time in Scripture as one. We looked at time in prayer. We looked at the rhythm of rest. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about community. Uh, If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just so grateful that you're with us for worship this morning. I know it's not easy, especially if you're new, coming to a new place, so I'm glad that you're with us. And here at FBC, every Sunday that we're together, we do take time to open up God's Word, to read from the Scriptures, and to, to hear from the Lord. We truly believe that God has spoken. He's made Himself known in His Word, and so we can come to the Bible, read it, study it together, and really hear from God. And so that's what we're going to do together this morning. But before we get there, uh, a few years ago, I read an article by a Christian author named Donald Miller. Maybe you're familiar with him. He's written several books, um, somewhat popular. And he was writing this article online about how he does not attend church very often. He talked about how it's simply not how he connects with God. And so he doesn't need to go. He doesn't really need to be connected to a local body of believers. And in fact, some of the most influential Christians he knows, he said, are people that don't go to church. They simply don't need it. I mean, sure, he has some sense of community relationships in his life, but no commitment to the local body of believers, either in Sunday worship or in small groups outside of that. And he said, sure, some people need that. Some believers need that in order to grow, but he has sort of graduated from that need, if you will. He's evolved past that need in his life. And I read the comment section of his article online there, which is always a dangerous thing to do, and wanted to see what people were saying. And a lot of people were, were resonating with that sentiment. They're like, he's right. We don't, we don't need church or committed community in order to follow Jesus. It's really just kind of about me and Jesus anyways, right? And so they were uh, rallying around his cause. Fellowship, they were saying, is, is not that important. Reading that article concerned me, naturally, uh, but I also at the same time didn't think it was surprising. Maybe you're not surprised to hear him say things like that. If you think about our culture today, it's marked by individualism, right? Where we're told that the greatest good you can pursue in your life is self-actualization. Just dig deep down, find what your desires are, and then pursue them. No matter what your community says or what your family says, just be yourself. Seek happiness and fulfillment. We celebrate independence, self-reliance. That's our culture. I mean, think about the books and the movies that we see out there are often a protagonist, the hero, finding themselves and expressing themselves uh, against or beyond what their community would say. 
But this focus on the individual, people are realizing, is actually not healthy, and it's led to loneliness and depression and anxiety and even a shorter life expectancy, research has shown. And yet, this is the culture around us, individualism. And so I want to look together today at the scriptures and see what the Bible has to say about how we should live in the context of community. Again, we're talking about the rhythm of being in community in fellowship, which includes this Sunday morning gathering where we're here as a large group, but also includes smaller group settings, Bible studies, as well as informal fellowship, breaking bread in our homes. But this is based in a conviction that as believers, we're better together, and God actually designed us to live life together and not isolated. So let's look at our text together, and I'll show you what I mean. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Kind of jumping in mid-chapter here, towards the end of the book of Hebrews, you notice. So a little context will help us understand what's going on. The book of Hebrews is really, it's all about Jesus. Throughout the entire book, the author is trying to help the audience see how great Jesus is. And so he points back to all these symbols and images and people in the Old Testament, whether it's Moses or the Old Covenant or the sacrificial system, and says, yeah, Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. The covenant that he has brought, the relationship we now enjoy with God, the sacrifice that he made is better than all the old sacrificial system. The leaders of the Old Testament, whether it's Moses or Abraham, Jesus is greater than all of them. So over and again, Jesus is the best thing to happen in the history of the world. And so then, in light of that, the author turns to more pastoral instruction. Since you are following Jesus, this great God and Savior, here is how I want you to live. In light of that, is this community following Jesus. Here are some instructions. And he goes on in verses 22 through 25. And I want us to look at first verse 25. Notice how it starts. It says, not giving up meeting together. Right? I want you to spur one another on. There's verse 24. Now 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't stop gathering together in community. And notice, there's no caveat to this, no asterisk and a little end note that says, unless you're busy, or unless you have other priorities, or a real full schedule, or demands at work, or so on. He doesn't say, don't give up meeting together unless, well, you really have more important things to do. No, it just says, don't give up meeting together. Community, he says, is not optional. It's not like dessert at a restaurant, right? Where after the meal, we say, should we have it? Should we not have it? I'm kind of full, kind of want it. Don't know if I should, but let's order it anyways. Saying it's not optional in that sense. Where we're like, ah, take it or leave it. No, it's actually commanded. And 
apparently some Christians that the author is addressing were out of the habit of meeting together. That's what the text says, as some are in the habit of doing. We don't know exactly why those believers were doing that, but as we look around today, we can see that the same thing is happening, right? Many people today would say, you know what? The habit of meeting together in community regularly is not that important. Being here on a Sunday is not that important. Joining a small group is not that important. And maybe it's because we're busy. We feel like it's really, again, just about me and Jesus after all. And so fellowship is kind of an add-on that might help me, but it's not really necessary. Or maybe we're, we're here often on Sundays uh, in the crowd, as it were, but haven't taken any further steps to, to serve or to join a small group to really be known by other people. And I know that sometimes there are reasons to not be here, health reasons, uh, things come up in life that are out of our control. I, I understand that. Uh, but sometimes we don't have great reasons for not being here, right? Sometimes, if we're honest, we simply prioritize other things. Other things are more important, whether it's work or sports or, or travel. And the thing is, culture, our culture has so shaped us that that reality is not a big deal to us. We just, you know, just kind of shrug our shoulders, and that's just kind of life in 2018 in America as we pursue these other things, and church is kind of optional. And so if that's where we are today, what does this passage have to say? It says, it says, no. It says, friends, don't stop meeting together. Don't neglect gathering together as some are in the habit of, of doing you you never graduate it says from your need for a strong christian community and actually look at the text again in verse 25 as it continues don't stop meeting together but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching you know so as opposed to you somehow graduating from the need for a strong Christian community. He actually says, as the return of Jesus gets closer in the days and weeks and months and years ahead, you're actually going to need community more than you did before. All the more as you see the day approaching, which is why as a church we have worship, connect, grow, and go as our core commitments, right? It's not worship, separate, grow, go or worship, isolate, grow and go. It's the image of a couch, but it's not just like you on a couch napping. It's, you know, in a living room with other people. That's, that's the idea. So worship, connect, grow and go. And if, and if you're here this morning, hear me, and, and you're not regular here on Sunday, whether you're not in a small group, I'm, I want you to know I love you. I'm for you. I'm not saying this to shame you. I don't want you to just feel bad. I'm not going to, we don't have the attendance record up here that I'm going to read off and call people out publicly. That's not what this is about. But I'm bringing this up because, one, it's in Scripture and because I, I care for you, because God has more for you here. There is more for you. There are blessings, good things that will come in your life from committing to a local church community. I want good things for you. God wants good things, blessings in your life. So notice, community is, is commanded. It's commanded. 
Now, you may be here today and you're like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> this pastor is off his rocker, okay? Maybe, again, you're not a Christian and you're here and you're like, this sounds like some crazy cult stuff. I don't want to get involved in this. He's trying to drag people in and guilt people. Or maybe you've been hurt by Christians before and you're like, maybe you are a Christian and, again, you've been wounded by some relationships in the church. So you get close to people and you're gets you a little nervous. You say, I'm not sure I want to go there again. So you kind of keep people at arm's length. I just want to recognize you. Some of us might be feeling those things. And if that's the case, stay with me. Stay with me. We're going to walk through a little bit more of the passage that, that shows us why. Why community is so important, even if it's something uncomfortable, even if it hasn't gone so great before. We're going to see this, this uh, positive vision for what the community ought to, to look like. And so let's keep looking at the text. Verse 24. It says, we already read it, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Okay, so if we're going to ask the question, why is community important? Here's one reason. It, it keeps us from being stagnant in our faith. The word here is spur on. It's actually a pretty strong word in the Greek that could be translated provoke or stir up, or, or stimulate. Maybe your translation says one of those, or it's the NIV, and it says spur on. But the idea is that it's almost this positive take on irritating one another. We, we irritate one another in the right way. We, we spur one another on in the right way. We don't allow one another to remain comfortable and stagnant, but by being together, we kind of kick one another in the side, as it were, to keep us moving in the right direction. Because on our own, we have a tendency to, to stall out and to kind of take it easy and just maybe coast from time to time. And so this is saying we need to spur one another on. A horse, every once in a while, needs a, a kick in the side with a spur to, to get it moving the way it ought to move. Maybe if you're familiar with cooking and you're cooking a pot of stew or a pot of soup and you just kind of let it be and let it sit there, what happens? It starts to settle and the ingredients separate and it's not what it's supposed to be. But if you take a spoon and you stir it up, you kind of aggravate it and get things moving and the flavors are combined and it turns out to be what it's supposed to be. And so in community... It's designed that we would spur one another on to love and good works, that we would motivate and challenge and irritate one another, as it were, towards the right things. Love and good deeds, the text says. Tim Keller, a pastor, has said this about community. Community without mission is cancer. Community without mission is cancer. What does he mean by that? I mean, the, the point of community is not for just us to draw near together and be buddy-buddy and feel the warm fuzzies and the belonging. Community certainly is that. But as the people of God, our community is pointed somewhere. We have, we have a mission to, to make disciples, to, to love our neighbors, to live for the good of our world. And so if we just, just settle down 
and just turn inward and try to love one another, that's not enough. We're called to love in good deeds, to go out on, on mission, to spur one another on to God's purposes in our world. And as I think about community, I think this takes place because I know when I've been in community, I see other people living out their faith. I see men and women who love Jesus and who are committed to following him themselves. And I hear about what's going on in their life and how God is using them, how God is sharpening them and what he's teaching them. And I'm encouraged when I hear those stories. I'm spurred on to want to love Jesus more and follow Jesus more. I think about some of the, the men in this church and the way that they love others. The way, the, way, the way that they give their time away for the good of their families or the good of those in the community. When I go to a men's breakfast and I hear about some of these stories about how these men are, are loving other people, it, it challenges me. It, it spurs me on because sometimes I'm, I'm a young guy, and I'm, I, well, I'm always a young guy, but sometimes I'm young and selfish, okay? Young and selfish. Selfish, And so when I see these older men that are loving Jesus and loving others, it spurs me on. It, it stirs me up to go and do likewise. And I'm sure each of you, if you can look around and see the people in this community, if you've been here for any length of time, you know some of their stories and you know some of the, the ways God has used them. You can look at these families and individuals and you can be encouraged by how God worked through them. When you spend time with these people, doesn't it just make you say, I, I want more of that in my life. I want to love Jesus more. I want to serve Jesus more. I want God to use me. We can thank God for how he's working in other people's lives. And so that's what this stirring up is all about, is I want to be about that too. And so back to our commitments. Again, it's not just worship, connect, grow. Worship, connect, grow. Worship, connect, grow. Just kind of in this cycle where we're here for worship and we love one another and we're here for worship and we love one another and we read our Bibles and we're here for worship and we love one another and we read our Bibles. No, there's, there's go. Right? We're called to make disciples and love our neighbor, live for the good of the world, for God's glory. And so community is intended to move us, spur us on to, to mission to loving others, not to being stagnant. And that's what verse 24 is calling us to, how to spur one another on to love and good works. How do we do this? We obey Jesus in our lives. We listen to the Lord. We follow him. And as we live in community, we encourage others. We take an interest in God's work in their life. We ask about it. We ask what God's teaching them. We invite other people to serve with us. We share what God is doing in our own life. And in this way, we will spur one another on. So community keeps us from being stagnant. That's the first why. But there's more. As we continue in verse 26, it says this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice is left, excuse me, for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment. As, as the passage continues, there's kind of this uh, scary condition described here. 
It's talking about someone who uh, receives a knowledge of the truth, who hears the gospel, who knows the truth of Scripture, and yet, it says, they disregard it. They, they deliberately continue walking away from the Lord. What does it say? It says, for such a person, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, which means essentially this, Jesus is the only option for forgiveness. He's it. So if we hear the gospel and say no thanks and go our own way, there, there's, there's no other option to be reconciled to God. There's no other way to be brought back into right relationship with God. There's no longer sacrifice for sins if we walk away from, from Jesus. So how does this fit in? Remember, this is in the context of community. I don't want you to stir up one another, spur on one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together, encouraging one another, the text says. And then this, if we deliberately keep on sinning. And so the idea is that community can be a, a safeguard to protect us from sinning. Community can keep us from deliberate sin so that we would not be like this and go astray. And so think about it. Often, we're most likely to sin when we're alone. Temptation is the strongest for us when we're alone. It's easy to go on sinning when there's no one checking in on you, no one reaching out, no one asking, hey, where have you been? When those conversations aren't happening, it's a lot easier to go on in deliberate sin. And this is why I, I don't like driving through Wyoming. Because I'm scared as I'm driving through. I'm like, there's no one out here. And so if our car breaks down and some crazy person comes along, who knows what they'll do? There's, there's no accountability. There's no people out here to protect us. We just drove through Wyoming. It was terrifying for five hours or so, but we, we made it. But you get the idea. There's, there's safety or protection in community, both from external sources, but also from ourselves. Just a couple pages over in your Bible from Hebrews chapter 10 is James chapter 1. And in there, verse 14, it's talking about being tempted to sin. And a word is used there in James uh, chapter 1 that talks about being dragged away or lured away or enticed by our own desires. The idea is that our sinful desires want to lure us, entice us away from the crowd. If you imagine there's safety inside the walls of a city, our sinful desires want to lure us outside the walls of the city where we're alone, where we're vulnerable, where sin can have its way and where we can do what we want to do. And often I've noticed, whether it's in, in this church or elsewhere, often one of the first signs that something's going on in someone's heart is that they kind of drift away from community and withdraw from regular fellowship. I've seen it over and over again. Because what happens? When we're alone, we can, we can do what we want to do, and no one's going to challenge us on it. And even if we don't realize that's what's happening, sometimes deep 
within our hearts, there's this desire just to be in the darkness and do what I want to do and not have other people keep me accountable. And that can be a very scary place to be. But in order for community to work this way, for us to actually hold one another accountable, we have to be known. If we just show up in the crowd, this sort of accountability and protection might not take place. You know, a recent study found that one out of four people who attend church feel like they're just going to some big uh, sporting event or concert where they're there with a lot of other people, but they're not really connected. You know, there's a bunch of people occupying the same space, but they don't always feel like those relationships are, are real or that they have people that they know and that know them. And so community, this rhythm, is about more than just showing up. It really challenges us to consider, have we opened up our hearts and our lives to other people? Is there anyone in this church who knows me, who knows my struggles, who knows my tendencies, my, my weaknesses, who knows what to ask me about, who knows how to pray for me? Does anyone know what our family is going through? Is anyone coming alongside us in this? Sin wants to be in the dark. If we're in community, we can bring that to the light and talk to those we've built relationships with. That's why small groups are so helpful because not that there's anything magical that happens in a, in a small group. It's just the, the regular habit of being in relationship with other people, knowing people, following the Lord together. God uses that and be accountable to one another. I know in our small group, if people start going off the rails, they'll get a phone call, and not just from me. Right? We'll, we'll keep one another accountable and say, hey, what's, what's going on? How are you? How can I pray for you? So Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 is essentially saying two things. You see it saying that community is important because it both keeps us doing the things we ought to be doing, right? spurs us on to love and good works, and it keeps us from deliberate sin. Keeps us doing the good things, keeps us away from deliberate sin and rejecting Christ. Community is a blessing for, for both of those things. But don't want to just leave us on a pragmatic note where it's like we just do community because it works and it's helpful. And if something else worked better, we would do that. But this is the best thing we found. That's, that's not the last word on this. There's a deeper reason for why we're to live in community. And the scriptures show us this over and over again. They talk about how we together are the people of God. We are more than just a collection of individuals rubbing shoulders against one another as we try to follow Jesus on our own. Yes, having an individual identity is real and important. You do have a personal relationship with the Lord through faith, no doubt. But when you put your faith in Christ, you are then a part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of the church community. Think of it like joining a big family. You're born, if you're part of a big family, you have your name, but you also bear the family name, the last name. And even if you want to change it, you probably can't. Okay, That's your family you're now a part of. We see this over and over again in Scripture. We could go to many different places, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just for sake of time, is one example. You maybe have heard the verse that talks about how we are the body of Christ. Yes, individually we're members of the body, but together we make up the one body. 
the one church. And so it doesn't make any sense to try to cut off a hand and separate it from the body or gouge out an eye and separate it from the body. Yes, we all have individual identities, but it cannot be separated from the whole. And so community is not just something that we do. It's who we are. We're made one people, one body in Christ. As we close, we of course need to turn our attention to to the gospel, the message of Jesus, because we could talk a lot about community, and a lot of people today probably talk about community, how belonging is important, being a part of some group or some organization. I mean, certainly throughout history, people have had big families and villages and networks of friendships. Um, it's not that Christianity invented the idea of community, or they're the only people to live in community, but how is our community supposed to be different from just any other book club or group out there in the world. I was trying to think of some, but I was drawing a blank. So, you know what I mean. How is Christianity different? Uh, it's because, one, we're, we're focused on the message of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just something we profess to believe together. It is the, the power and, and the way in which we can live differently. Because what does the gospel message tell us? It tells us that we, though sinners, though separated from God because of our sin, worthy of, of judgment and death and condemnation, God loved us even in our sin, came, lived the perfect life we could not live, and died a death that we deserved on the cross so that through faith in him we could be forgiven of our sins, made alive in Christ, reconciled to God in relationship. And so if that is our message that also needs to shape our culture. Okay, Through the gospel, when we believe it and remember it, it allows us to extend to other people what God has extended to us. Okay, so if we're a gospel community and we've been hurt by other people, it means that we don't just grow bitter and separate. It means that we have a, a, a means to reconcile with one another because God has forgiven us in Christ we can forgive one another. We can be reconciled even when there is tension, even when there is hurt and wrongdoing. We can grow through that and be reconciled. If you're afraid to be known in community, when you remember the gospel, the gospel what reminds us that we are, are sinners, all of us, weak and needy and broken, needing a Savior, Jesus Christ. And so there's no false pretense in community. There's no trying to pretend like I've got it all together and I have to show off. And what if people really see my, my sin and see my warts? Because the reality is we all have them. If we remember the gospel, we're all broken people, all needy people. And so we can come in humility saying, here's who I am. Here's my heart. I need the Lord just like you do. If we remember the gospel, there's no need for competition, boasting, because again, we remember we're all flawed and, and weak and, and needy. And rather than seeking our own good, if our community is shaped by the gospel and the good news of what God has done for us, we can be a people that live for the good of others. God has loved us. God has sacrificed so much for us. And so we then can sacrifice 
graciously for the good of other people, both in our community and outside. So you see how if we remember the gospel, it's not just a message we proclaim about getting to heaven. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we do community. If we remember it and let it shape us. So, in response this morning, I simply leave you with a consideration to think about, are you living in the rhythm of community? Is it a regular pattern, a, a habit of your life and your week, your schedule, to be with the people of God for worship, to, to join a small group, to be known by people, to have real relationships with other believers? And there are small steps you can take towards this. We have our movie night coming up. That's just a great way to, to be present and get to know people. We have our, our men's breakfast each month. We have different women's ministry events. Again, we have small groups, which are probably the, the best way just to, to weekly be in the rhythm of being in someone's home. Or, or maybe it's, we have some here at the church, but just in a smaller setting where you can really be known. I encourage you to, to prayerfully consider what this rhythm might look like in your life. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, we thank you for your word. It challenges us, but it also encourages us. Thank you, Lord, that you have made us your church. Through faith, we are bonded together as one body. God, it's our hope to follow you together, to spur one another on to love and good works to keep one another walking in your ways. And thank you for the truth of the gospel that we are saved by grace through the work of Jesus so that we can come in humility and joy together and support one another as we follow you. Thank you, Lord. May this be so for our church. In Jesus' name, amen.